We're turning in God's Word this evening to John's Gospel, chapter 13, please. John, chapter 13. And we're going to read at verse 1. I should say that in uh, some of the hymns that we sing, some of them are new to me, and uh, I'm, I'm here to learn, happy to learn, and uh, you will teach me a few uh, new tunes and hymns, I am sure, before our stay concludes. So John chapter 13, and we'll read at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. 
If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. And we'll end our reading at the verse 17. May the Lord be pleased to add his own particular blessing to the public reading of his word. We will unite our hearts again in prayer as we come to the word. Our loving Father, how we praise thee amid the darkness of our world, amid the darkness that reigns in the human heart, there is the glorious light of the gospel to shine. It has shone in a dark place when it shone into these hearts of ours. And, O God, we pray that gospel light will shine into other hearts and others will be brought to see that they must be saved, that they must know their sins forgiven, for without Christ they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. O Lord, breathe upon us by thy Spirit and give help in the preaching of the glorious gospel. Bless thy word and prosper it, we pray, and grant our Father that the hearing of the word will bring souls to life eternal, to know Christ, whom to know is eternal life. Glorify thyself then, we pray, in the Savior's worthy name. Amen. When the Last Supper ended, as the Lord rose from the table, the eyes of all the disciples were fixed on him. They watched intently as he set aside his garments, lifted a towel, and tied it to his waist. The Lord went over to the water pot, filled the basin, and proceeded to go round the table, washing the disciples' feet, wiping them with the towel. When he came to Peter, Peter judged it beneath the Lord of glory to stoop to the servant's level. Peter flatly refused to have his feet washed by Christ. Peter said in verse 8, and there is a greater emphasis in the original than is apparent in our English rendering, Peter responded, Thou shalt never, no, never wash my feet. To which the Lord replied in our text in verse 8, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. There's more in this than the established Eastern custom of foot washing. The feet, of course, our feet, yours and mine, they have to do with our walk. And the disciples wearing sandals, their feet 
were in need of constant washing. They were out there amid the sandy surface, and there was that need of constant washing of the feet. You and I live in a corrupt, in a degenerate age. As the people of God, we sin less, but we are not sinless. There is no sinless perfection to be experienced this side of heaven. We remember what Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, and in the opening verse, we discover in the year that King Uzziah died, the prophet saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And in the verse 5 of the chapter, Isaiah said, in the light of the glory of the Lord that he had seen, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. This inspired prophet, this servant of God, he knew no sinless perfection. Paul, what an apostle he was. What an evangelist he was. What a contender for the faith he was. But he cried out in the words of Romans 7 and verse 24, O wretched man that I am. He knew no sinless perfection. Oh, we cannot have communion, a close walk with God, unless we know a daily washing in the labor of the Word. We turn over the page to John chapter 15 and verse 3. And the Lord could say, Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And when you and I, as the Lord's people, as we read the word, it is as a labor. It has a cleansing, a sanctifying power in our lives. Oh, may we know the daily cleansing of the word in our walk and in our hearts. May you and I keep short accounts with God as we walk in this alien world. But this this passage in Roman in John chapter 13 was an emblem, a figure of a greater washing. So often the Lord in his preaching, he passed from natural lessons 
to spiritual ones. He passed from the growing of the corn to the gathering of fruit for the eternal harvest. He passed from the loaves to the meat that perisheth not. And we see in this passage gospel truth. We see the necessity of the washing of regeneration, the necessity of being washed from our sins in the blood of the Lamb. It is a must. It is essential. Without this gospel washing, you can have no part, no interest in, no relationship with God. This is the very heart of the glorious gospel message. Wash and be clean. And you disobey this command at your peril. May those who are listening in tonight, may you have a change of heart. May you come to the place where you say, Wash me every whit. Make me clean. Lord, cleanse me from my sin in thy precious blood. Three things from our text. First of all, the impurity of the heart. The need for washing implies uncleanness, defilement. When the Lord looked down from heaven on the newly created universe, what did he see? In Genesis 1 and verse 31, we are told that God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. There was no pollution. All was wholesome and pure. It was a perfect world. We come to Psalm 14 and the second verse. And again we find the Lord looking down from heaven on the children of men. And what does he see? The third verse. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And this is confirmed for us in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Paul, he puts both Jew and Gentile under scrutiny. Look at verse 9. He asks the question, What then? Are we better than they? He is asking, Are we Jews on a higher level than Gentiles? Oh, Paul knows that the Ten Commandments have been given to his people. 
the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were of the Jewish stock. The promises, the covenants, the prophecies were all given to them. And Paul asks them, are we better on that account than Gentiles? And he is emphatic in his answer in verse 9. No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. The conclusion drawn is final. All, whether Jew or Gentile, are under sin. No person is better than another by natural generation. All are from the same stock. The depravity in your heart is as deep and as broad as it was in the heart of Cain, in the heart of Judas Iscariot. All of us by nature are the children of wrath. All flesh has corrupted its way on the earth. Job chapter 14 and verse 4 raises the question, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? And the answer comes, not one. Not one. We are given the details in Genesis chapter 5 of the birth of Seth. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3. Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and beget a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. There is an emphasis in the verse that Adam begat Seth in his own likeness, after his image. In the first chapter of Genesis, we read about Adam. In, in verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Adam made in the image of God. But that likeness was lost when Adam sinned. And when it comes to the birth of Seth, he was born in his father's likeness, in his father's image. In other words, Seth was born 
as you and I and all of us are, with a sinful heart, a degenerate, defiled heart. Adam got a sin, got a son in his own likeness, and so by one man's sin, all have sinned. The proverb 13 and verse 5 teaches us that a wicked man is loathsome. Loathsome to whom? To God. God is of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Sin separates the soul. It separates between the soul and God. The men of Beth Shemesh in 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 20, they pondered the question, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? What a question. How can we who are sinners by birth, nature, and practice stand before the holy God, or you will not be able to stand before him in your sin. Sin is that abominable thing that the Lord hates. In your sin, you will be driven away from his presence into the awful darkness of hell. We remember that it is written in Revelation 21 and verse 27, Concerning heaven, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. All this text teaches us the impurity of our hearts. But secondly, it also teaches us the imperative of being washed. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. These words of Christ emphasize the necessity of being washed from our sins in his own precious blood. Peter He had a proper, he had a humble view of himself. Very humbly he asked in verse 6, Dost thou wash my feet? He saw the glory of the Lord and his own unworthiness. And surely Peter will be accepted on this account of his Humility, apart from being washed? No, the Lord said to Peter, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And maybe you see yourself so unworthy of so great salvation. 
Will your self-abasement, will your humility in itself bring you near to God? We think of the parable of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. And the publican, he, he stood afar off. He saw himself unworthy of even, of even entering the temple, of drawing near to God. He would not so much as lift his eyes to heaven. He smote his breast in his unworthiness. Was it on that account that he went home to his house justified? No. The publican, he looked to Christ. He cried, God be merciful to me the sinner. God be propitiated to me the sinner. In other words, he looked to the cross He looked to the atonement. He looked to the bleeding lamb, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Peter was one of the three who went with the Lord to the Mount of Transfiguration. There he saw the glory of Christ. Surely that would suffice to give him a part with the Son of God. No, Jesus said, except if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. There can be no substitute for washing in the fountain filled with blood. No religious experience can take the place of the atoning blood. Peter was a servant. He had gone with the other apostles and preached the gospel and cast out devils. He was so forthright, so bold before the council of Jerusalem. Surely that would ensure that he would have a part with the Lord. No, The Lord made it clear, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And if any should have the tongue of men and angels, and give their body to be burned, and do not have the mark of the blood on their heart, they will have no part with Christ. Peter was full of zeal and enthusiasm. He could say, though all should deny thee, yet will not I. I will go with thee, Lord, to prison and to death. Still, if Peter be not washed, he cannot have a part with the Lord. Naaman the leper, when Elisha told him, how to be cured from that awful disease. He had difficulty in coming to terms with the prophet's message. 
We see this difficulty in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. How did Naaman react? Verse 11. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman thought that Elisha would come out and pander to his pride, perform some miracle, and thereby he would be clean. Oh, the message to Naaman was simple. It was straight, wash, and be clean. In Hebrews 7 and verse 19, the verse speaks of the gospel as a better hope. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by which we draw nigh unto God. No hope can be built on the law, on our works. Oh, there are many who strive to live by the commandments, thinking that they can endear themselves by that means to God. But you and I, fallen in our sin, we cannot measure up to God's royal law. We cannot keep the law so as to make a way of salvation out of it. The law that shows us our guilt condemns us to our face. But the gospel is that sure hope. It is the better hope, the eternal hope. While King Edward VII was still the Prince of Wales, he was visiting in the home of one of the gentry. And the little daughter of the home climbed up onto his knee and charmed the prince with her smile, her love, and friendship. And although very young, she had already received the Lord into her heart. And so after a few minutes, she said to the prince, Can you answer this question? Please tell me, what is whiter than snow? And the prince was confused. He was confounded. 
After a little while, he had to confess that he did not know the answer. I'll tell you, sir, said the child, every soul washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus is made whiter than the snow. Is that the case with you, my listener? Are you washed from your sin in the blood of the Lamb? It's an imperative. Nothing but the blood of Christ can take away your sin and mine. Oh, may you say, Jesus, to that fountain of thine, leaning on thy promise I go. Cleanse me by thy washing divine, and I shall be whiter than snow. Without the blood, you can have no part in Christ. And that brings me to the final thought, the implications of having no part with Christ. This word part is found in other portions of the scriptures. It's found in Luke chapter 10 and the verse 42. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Mary has been at the Lord's feet. She has been hearing his word. And this is how her experience is summed up. She has chosen that good part. The word part is also found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and the verse 15. What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? There can be no true correspondence or affiliation between the believer and the infidel. So the phrase no part It means no fellowship. It means no communion with the Lord. It means to have no communion with the Lord in whose favor is life. The Lord has reserved for those who are his mansions of bliss, thrones of glory, Rivers of pleasure, fullness of joy. But you can have have neither part nor lot in these eternal blessings without the experience of the new birth. If you have no part with Christ, then you must have your part with the unbelieving, with the devil and his angels 
in the lake which burns with fire forever and ever. To have no fellowship with Christ here means a similar fate in the world to come. It means to be a lost soul throughout the unending ages of the great eternity. Oh, it matters not to whom you belong, to what you belong, to where you belong, if you have no part in Christ. You're a wanderer from God without a guide, without a hope to cheer the tune, a dying soul without a a hope for eternity, a lost sheep without the shepherd. Oh, I plead with you in Christ's stead to seek that good part. Jeremiah, in the midst of all his lamentations, he had this comfort in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 24. He can speak personally and say, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. What a full, eternal, satisfying portion the Lord is to all who are his. Oh, do not rest until you're among the number who can truly say, my fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. May you come to an end of yourself, repent of your sin, and receive by faith the Lord Jesus, the sinner's Savior, the one who on the cross bled and died to bring us nigh to God. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part in me. Oh, may you experience the washing of regeneration, know what it is to be right with God. The gospel promises, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. May you, as a sinner, call on the Savior and know him whom to know is eternal life. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Our gracious God, our loving Father, how we praise thee for so great salvation. We know that we could not save ourselves, but what was impossible with men was possible with God. And how we praise thee that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 
We know, Lord, that thou didst come to seek and to save that which was lost. And how we rejoice that this is still the day of grace. Lord, thine arm is not shortened that it cannot save. And we pray that those who hear the word will be brought to realize that they must be saved, that they must get right with God. May they consider their latter end and apply their hearts unto wisdom. We know that it is the greatest wisdom to be saved, to be washed from our sins in the Savior's own blood. So bless thy word and grant our Father that the Lord Jesus will be glorified and his kingdom will be extended as others are brought to himself. We ask it in the Savior's lovely name. Amen. Amen.